Father, we thank you and we praise you for the wonder and the glory and the mystery of Christmas. Father, this is truly the greatest story ever told, and we stand before this mystery breathless. And we ask that even as we open up your word once again to return to this familiar story, we pray, O oh God, that the truth that is here would strike us afresh, that you would awaken our hearts to your love and your grace and your beauty and that you would call forth our deepest trust and our faith in you so that we can walk with you and be your faithful, obedient people in this world. And we ask these things in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. amen. So last week, we began a new series during, for Advent entitled, All is Calm. And of course, this is taken uh, from the most popular, arguably the most loved of all of the Christmas hymns, Silent Night, Holy night, all is bright. And so this is arguably the most popular, uh, the most well-known, the most well-loved of all the Christmas hymns, but it is also the most ironic because as we pointed out last week, that first Christmas morning was anything but calm and silent for that young couple who had to travel from Nazareth, 100 miles across the desert, down to Bethlehem to give birth to a baby because of the oppressive taxes of the violent Roman Empire that was unsettling their lives all the time. And so there was nothing calm, there was nothing silent about the original Christmas. And we've pointed out that there is nothing calm about the Christmas season that we find ourselves entering into. You know, I don't need to tell you this, but of course, with rising numbers of COVID cases and more intense shutdowns and economic and financial hardship and so many, so many difficulties that are facing us right now, some people, even in our own church family, are entering into this Christmas without somebody around the table that they had last year because of a loss due to COVID. And so this Christmas is anything but calm and silent. I was looking, and I found this on Etsy. Uh, it's a handmade holiday ornament, uh, a glass globe that captures 2020. It's a tiny dump dump dumpster on fire, sinking in water along with the remains of some dead trees. <laughs> uh, the, the, the person selling it uh, said, quote, it's rendered in polymer clay, wood, and resin. Each of these delightful reminders of 2020 is individually handcrafted by me in my house, where I'm pretty much stuck, maybe forever. <laughs> As I was driving to work today, uh, I was listening to NPR, and uh, there was a, a little a piece on a, um, a performance art thing that was happening in Austin, Texas, and the title was Dumpster Fire. And... Uh, uh, in, in, this, in this performance art, they roll out two dumpsters and then begin to bang on it with house-made uh, sledgehammers <laughs> while the dumpsters are lit on fire. <laughs> and the curator for this exhibit writes this. He says, this year has been a literal dumpster fire. So it's nice to show that metaphorically. But also it's cathartic to bang on things really loudly and hear other people bang on things. He says, I think there's a lot of frustration, a lot of pent-up energy that people can just release, and that's why we're doing it. 
Anybody here want to go and just bang on a dumpster fire? Doesn't that sound like awesome, cathartic release? Well, good news, the band Rolling Riot says that it hopes to take the show on the road. Uh, when it's safe, it says dumpsters are readily available anywhere. And if 2020 has proved anything, it's that dumpster fires can truly happen anywhere. But you know, don't you find yourself asking the question, what is the next dumpster fire we're going to encounter here in 2020? You know, one of the, the most anxiety and I think kind of like fear-producing things about this year is that there has been so much uncertainty and there are so many unknowns that are being thrown at us and, and we don't know what's going to happen next. You know, it's H.P. Lovecraft who said that the oldest and strongest emotion of mankind is fear, and the oldest and strongest kind of fear is fear of the unknown. And there is a lot of unknown right now. Every day seems to bring something new. There's personal and financial and political and economic uncertainties. And so this can create fear and anxiety even among the most stout-hearted among us. But what I want you to see and what we've been talking about throughout this series is that the news of Christmas is an antidote for our deep anxiety and fear. You know, one of the most common, in fact, the most consistent and persistent and frequent commands surrounding the Christmas story in the New Testament is the command, do not be afraid. And it's a command that's given to Zechariah, and it's given to Mary, and it's given to Joseph, and it's given to the shepherds, and it's given to us tonight because the news of Christmas contains within it the antidote. We could even say the vaccine. Can we talk about vaccines in 2020? It, the vaccine, the antidote for our fears and our anxieties. There's that great line in the beautiful Christmas hymn, O Little Town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. Above thy dark and dreamless sleep, the silent stars go by. Yet in thy dark streets shineth the everlasting light. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. In other words, our deepest fears, our anxieties are actually met and they are overcome by the light that broke in on that first Christmas morning. But the question is, is how, do we, how, do, how do we begin to experience more of that kind of freedom from anxiety and fear that comes to us through the news of Christmas? And that's the question that we're exploring together throughout this series. And today we're going to look at the story of Mary and how this command that was given to her, do not be afraid, comes also to us. And the news that's given to her also comes to us. And it will help us find some peace and calm in the midst of all of the fears and anxieties. The story picks up in Luke chapter 1, verse 26, like this. It says, in the six months, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Now, who is Mary? Well, the, the first thing that we're told is that she is from Nazareth. Now, where's Nazareth? Nazareth was a tiny dot on the map. 
It was a small, completely insignificant corner of the Roman Empire. And by anyone's estimation, it was a non-place. You know, in the Old Testament, we never hear about it. In non-biblical literature, we never read about it. You know, it was nowheresville. I was thinking of an analogy, and it would be like, you know, when we drive up to Oregon with, as our, fam- with our family, uh, we always drive up the five, and we cross through weed. But I never, I've never planned a vacation to weed, and you haven't either, because weed is not a place you go visit. It's a place you stop for gas, Right? Well, that was Nazareth. It was Nowheresville. There's one scene in the Gospels where somebody says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And when you think about Mary, you know, uh, don't think of what we normally picture. You know, you think about like one of these medieval paintings, you know, Mary's dressed in a royal attire and she's there reading the ancient manuscripts and we wonder, who does her makeup? You know, she looks great, you know. And uh, she has a halo, of course, over her head. But look, Nazareth was a small peasant village, and Mary was a young peasant girl. Peasants eked out their living. They paid their taxes, and they tried to live in peace. Mary was poor. She worked in the fields. Her hands were calloused. Her skin was brown from the sun. And and being a peasant, she would have been illiterate, so she wasn't there reading the ancient manuscripts. And yet this lowly, young, impoverished girl is the one to whom the message of Christmas, the the message comes from uh, the, 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 the angel Gabriel. You know, and it's interesting to contrast Mary with the guy we looked at last week, Zachariah. Zechariah is somebody who would expect to have a visit from an angel if there ever was one. He was a godly man. He was old and sage and wise. He was a religious professional. He was a priest in the temple. And he, and he was there in, in the big city of Jerusalem, right in the heart of Israel's you know, religious life. But Mary, she's out in the backwoods. And she's not, a, a, you know, in the ancient world, it was a man, not a woman. But here, Mary is a woman, and she's, she has no status. She has no pedigree. She, she has no reputation. She has no wealth. She has nothing that would commend her as impressive to anyone. And it is to this one that the angel Gabriel comes. And, of course, this shouldn't surprise us because God is always doing things like this. Martin Luther put it like this. He said, Gabriel might have gone to Jerusalem and picked out Caiaphas's daughter who was fair and rich and clad in gold embroidered raiment and attended by servants, but God preferred a lowly maid from a mean town. But look what it says, keep reading. Uh, Gabriel appears and he says to her, he says, greetings, earthly, or greetings, O favored one. He said, the Lord is with you. He says, the Lord is with you. So the young woman in Nowheresville gets a visit from the angel Gabriel. And Gabriel, of course, is a celebrity angel. If he was an American angel, he would have his own Netflix channel and uh, he'd have a nice show about him. Uh, But he's a big deal. You know, in the Old Testament, Gabriel appears at those epic-making, history-turning events, and here he showed up uh, to Zechariah last week, and here he shows up now to Mary. And he speaks these words. He says, the Lord is with you. 
the Lord is with you. Now, the, the, this phrase, the Lord is with you, is familiar throughout the Old Testament. It's like a golden thread that's woven throughout there. And, and, and every time when God comes to one of Israel's great heroes and he commissions them, he says to them, the Lord is with you. This is what he said to Abraham, and this is what he said to Moses, and this is what he said to Isaiah, and this is what he said to Jeremiah, and that's what he said to Gideon, and here's what he says to Mary. He says, Mary, the Lord is with you. And how does she respond? I mean, this is a big deal. Uh, he says, the Lord is with you. This is, this is like getting a commissioning. It's like getting an invitation, uh, a, a, a word of saying, like, you are significant and you are important. It's like getting, you know, if you were to get a leading role in a Broadway play or you were to get a letter of acceptance to an Ivy League college, you know, here he says, the Lord is with you. And how does Mary respond? Is she flattered? Is she astounded? Well, look at what the text says. It says, she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what this sort of greeting might be. It doesn't say that she was flattered. It says that she was troubled. Now, why is she troubled? Well, one obvious answer is that she's talking to an angel. And if an angel showed up in your bedroom at night, you also would be greatly troubled, wouldn't you? But I think maybe there's something else going on there. I, I think... I think maybe Mary is thinking, like, there must be some mistake. Like, what? why me? You're, you, this is crazy. And perhaps she's thinking that this news, this commissioning, it's going to change everything. Because of this news, Mary's life is going to dramatically change. You know, before this point, Mary's life had been hard, but it had been predictable. But now things are going to change, you know? And now Mary is looking down the barrel of a life with a whole lot of unknowns and uncertainties. And she's got her questions. How is, how is this going to happen? I'm going to have a baby and uh, I'm not married and I've never been with a man. And how is Joseph going to take it? And what are my parents going to say? And what are the neighbors going to think? And, and if, I, if I'm having the baby who's going to be an heir to the throne in Jerusalem, what's the current sitting king in Jerusalem going to think? Herod, he's not going to like it. No, and so she, she, is, she is fraught with, with these unknowns and these uncertainties. And listen, you know, almost none of us can relate to Mary on a whole lot of levels. We've never been encountered by an angel, you know, uh, virgin births, probably unfamiliar to all of us, right? <laughs> but I think all of us can relate to Mary, at least in this. We know what it's like to look into a future with a whole lot of unknowns and uncertainty. We know what it's like to look into the future and ask what dumpster fire is next. You know, last night, uh, I, we were woken, I don't know, it was probably 4.30 in the morning, and by my chickens. They were like crying out in terror, sheer terror. And uh, so I, I got out of bed and I ran down and I let the dog out and the dog and I ran out and we chased off five coyotes that were circling my chickens. And they looked terrified, you know. And so we, we got rid of the coyotes. I went back up. 
uh, went back to bed, and right as I was about ready to doze off to fall asleep again, probably about an hour later, I start hearing that same cry from the chickens again, and I ran down again. Brutus comes out. We chase off the five coyotes, and uh, one, of my, one of my hens that was crying out like a dying cat, after the coyotes ran, uh, the, the chicken just kept pacing back and forth and back and forth, crying out in sheer terror. And I think the reason why is she was wondering, like, are they coming back? What's going to happen next? And, and I think, you know, a lot of us can live with some low-grade anxiety and worry because we just kind of like, what, what's going to happen next? You know, what's going to happen with my kids or my parents uh, who, who don't take COVID seriously enough and they've got, you know, health issues and they should, or my kids that are taking this thing way too seriously, or my bank account or my investments or my business. But what I want you to see tonight is how Gabriel responded to Mary's fear of the unknown and the uncertainties and how he responds to us. I want you to see simply that he responds with God. He turns her and he turns our attention away from ourselves, our circumstances. He turns our attention away from everything that is evoking all of the fear and anxiety. And he turns our attention to God. And here he reveals to us three things about God that calmed Mary's fears and anxieties and will calm ours too if we can let them sink in. Number one, he wants... Mary, he wants us to see something first about God's grace. Look at what he says in verse 31. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. He says, Mary, do not be afraid, for you have found favor with God. That word for, for it, it's, it's telling us the reason why she shouldn't be afraid. He says, Mary, you are under the favor and the delight and the smile of God. Mary, you don't think you deserve this, but this is what God has done. God looks over your life. He speaks over your life. He is looking upon you with absolute, eternal, and unconditional, and unmerited grace and favor and love. Mary, you don't need to be afraid. Mary, yeah, life is uncertain. The future is unknown, but God favors you. You know, he begins his message to, to Mary. He says, rejoice, take joy, oh, favored one. And then he, he brings it full circle. As he ends it, he says, for you have found favor. And he's telling Mary, he's saying, Mary, look, you live underneath the grace and the favor and the love of God. You are special to God. You know, in our family, uh, one of our daughters, uh, I, I don't know if she gave herself this name or maybe Alicia and I at some point gave herself this name, but I think we all refer to her at times as, quote, the Joseph of the family. Do you guys know Joseph? Not Mary and Joseph, but Joseph in the Old Testament, the one with the coat of many colors? Because he was the favorite in the family. And so she's the Joseph of the family. <laughs> But, um, but the, the reality is, is that they're all the Joseph of the family. Like all of my kids are our favorite. And they know that. And yeah, Mary is special. In some sense, you could say she's like the Joseph of the family, except for she's the Mary of the family. Mary, yeah. 
But listen, your life has been united to Christ. You have be, become accepted and loved in Christ. We are all the Joseph of God's family now. Behold what manner of love the Father has given to us that we should all be called the children of God. And it is this love, it is this gracious choice of God over our life that can break and dispel the fear and their anxiety. Because even though we have uncertainties and we have a lot of unknowns about the future, we know this. We know that God is for us and not against us. And we know that God is with us always, even until the end of the age. And we know that God's love for us is eternal and it's unconditional and it is unbreakable. And this reality can set in and it can quill the fears. If God is for us, who can be against us? You know, I was uh, reading this week a little bit about uh, some second century martyrs. Nothing like reading about second century martyrs that puts our own troubles in perspective. Maybe that's something we should all do, you know. But, you know, it's pretty wild. You know, um, in, in the first few centuries of the church, they really, they revered the martyrs. These people who looked into the face of death without fear, with strength, with courage, and they laid down their life for Christ. And I was reading a, a, a story about a, a martyr named Sanctus who was, uh, had been imprisoned and he was with a, a group of Christians that were put in these little cells that were basically like the size of a dishwasher. And uh, he was alongside another martyr whose name was Polycarp. But Sanctus, I, I read, he was a deacon uh, from Vienna and it says he stood firm in his faith even after red-hot plates were fastened to the most tender parts of his body, and he was one complete wound and bruise. And then it says this, he was, quote, an example for others, showing them that nothing is fearful where the love of the Father is, and nothing is painful where the glory of Christ is. Now, friends, I'm not trying to be simplistic and naive about real human pain and suffering and genuine stuff in our life that creates fear and anxiety. And I don't think any of those first few century martyrs were anything in the neighborhood of naive and cliche. But what they discovered and what you and I can discover is that God's unconditional, eternal, and unmerited grace and love is stronger and more powerful than your fears. And his love is something we can actually bank our life on and rest fully in. And so the angel says, Mary, you are favored. You are graced by God. God's smile is over your life. Turn your, your eyes from your circumstances and set your, your gaze on God's grace. But not only does he talk to him about God's grace, secondly, he talks to, him, uh, talks to her about God's promise. Look what it says in verse 32 and 34 or 31, I'm sorry. He says, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. 
Now, all of uh, the, the, the ancient readers, when they heard this text, they heard echoes of the ancient prophets who were constantly casting visions of hope for Israel in her dark night of exile. And there are two important strands of these promises, of these Old Testament prophets that matter, that Luke actually draws together here in the word from Gabriel. And the first strand of hope, of promise that was given in the Old Testament to Israel in her dark night of exile was a strand of hope that said one day, a descendant from the line, from the lineage of King David. David was Israel's greatest king. And in the Old Testament, in the book of 2 Samuel, God made a promise to David and said this, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, David, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom and he shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So to Old Testament Israel, you know, in their dark night of exile, God says, I'm going to raise up a king who's going to pull you out of that dark night and he will be the king not just over Israel. His kingdom will stretch over all the earth and it will go on forever. And there's all kinds of prophets, prophecies all throughout the Old Testament that allude to this day when one of David's sons will be born to come and sit on the kingdom of David or on the throne of David. For example, the text we heard read earlier tonight, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. Thank God that finally human governments will be stripped out of the hands of men and will be given to this one who is called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And then it says this, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. For on the throne of who? David, and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forever. Mary hears this promise that, that the, 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 the long-awaited Davidic king has come. But there was a second strand that is actually pulled into the words given from Gabriel. The first strand was that one would come who would reign as the king one of da from David's line. But the second strand is that God himself would come and would reign over all of the earth. And so, for example, a little bit later in the book of Isaiah, these words are spoken, go up on a high mountain, O Zion, herald of the good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of the good news. Lift it up and cry out to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense is before him and he will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather his lambs into his arms and will carry them in his bosom and will gently lead those who are young. Do you see what he's saying? Israel was given this promise that one day God himself would come and would rule over them and would care for them and would shepherd them. And these two strands of hope that one day God would come and that one day a son of David would come ultimately to rule over Israel and the world are wrapped together. They're brought together in Jesus, who is both God and man, the son of God and the son of David. 
the one who is fully God and fully man. In the person of Jesus, God comes to reign and the son of David comes to reign over his kingdom. But here's the point. In Jesus, God's promises have been fulfilled. Listen, God made promises hundreds and hundreds of years to his people before Jesus came. And Israel, like many of us, asked that question, when are you going to fulfill those promises? And here the word comes to Mary, God is faithful in fulfilling his promises. He is establishing his long-awaited kingdom. This kingdom has been birthed into the world, Mary. It's coming into the world through your womb. God is being faithful to his promises. And listen, here is why this should bring us hope and release us from fear. In the midst of of everything around us that creates uncertainty and all of these unknowns, we can know this. God is in control. He is on the move and God has inaugurated his kingdom in Jesus. That kingdom is growing and one day it will be established in the end when God comes again in Christ to make everything new. It was Corey Tim Boone, again, somebody who was not cliche and not naive, somebody who, who, who knew what it was like to suffer under the Nazi regime. She said this, never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. You can trust your unknown future into the hands of God because God ultimately has come to inaugurate and establish his kingdom in Jesus and that kingdom is growing. You know, Martin Luther, the great Protestant reformer, when he, when he stood up against all of the religious abuses that were happening in the church of his day, and he did so at, at, at what could have been the cost of his life, he knew fear. But it was in this space where he wrote these words that come to us in the great hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. He said, and though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God has willed his truth to triumph through us. God's kingdom will come, and his will will be done on earth, even as it is in heaven. And you can, you can root your heart in that truth, and you will not be shaken. And so first, Mary discovers this truth about God's grace. God is for us and not against us. And in his grace, God has been faithful to his promise. He has inaugurated his kingdom in Jesus. His kingdom will come again. He, he will establish his kingdom on earth. We can trust in that. We can root our, lights, our lives in that. And then finally, he, he points Mary to God's power. Because by God's own self and by God's own power, God will accomplish God's work in God's world. Look at what it says in verse 34. Mary hears this news and she says to the angel, okay, I'm going to have a baby. <laughs> I'm a virgin. I've never known a man. How is that going to happen? <laughs> you know, that's a fair question, right? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Echoes of Genesis 1, where the Spirit of God hovered like a bird overshadowing the dark waters. And as a result of that came creation. And the angel says to Mary, the Spirit of God is going to hover over your womb and there'll be new creation, Jesus Christ. 
and therefore the child and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called the Son of God. And behold, your relative, remember your relative, Elizabeth, in her old age, she has conceived a son. And this is the sixth month of her who is called barren. Got to move, move along here in my slides. And then she, he says this, for nothing will be impossible with God. Mary says, how is it that a no-name girl from a no-name town with no credentials and no husband who's never known a man, how am I going to bear in my womb the king who will be the king over every king on the planet? How is that going to happen? And the angel points her to the power of God. The word that spoke into the darkness and brought about creation will speak into your womb, Mary. No problem. The life-giving power that brooded over the barren womb of Sarah and of Rachel and of Rebecca and of Hannah, that life-giving power that brooded over the womb of your aunt Elizabeth or your cousin Elizabeth and brought new life. This is not a problem with God, for nothing will be impossible with God. A.W. Tozer said, nothing is harder for God than anything else. He does everything with the same amount of ease. Isn't that good? Nothing is harder for God than anything else. He does everything with the same amount of ease. And so he asked Mary, he says, Mary, don't look around at what is humanly possible. And very often we can look around at the world. And I, I don't know, I, I don't know if anybody else ever feels like this, but it feels like the most real and dominant thing in my imagination are the realities around us of our own political realities, of our cultural realities, of what's happening around us in our families or our homes. And that can seem so powerful and so real and sometimes so scary. And it seems like the most real, the most true thing. But what the angel tells Mary and us, he says, look, don't look around, look to God. There is a bigger and a truer and a more real power than any of the earthly powers around us. And is anything too hard for this God? Nothing is too hard for God. You know, is God's sovereign power finally limited by our expectations? Or is God really God? Is anything too hard for God? Is there some norm or power that limits his power? Can the world ever say no to its creator? The gospel breaks in to, this, into, to Mary's room and into our space here today. And, and he says, nothing is too hard for me. My kingdom will come. And my will will be done on earth. And ultimately, all of the powers of darkness will be broken and they will bow before me. Now, notice Mary's response to this whole thing. Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. You know, in these stories, it's almost never the case that the human actor gets the last word. But here, Mary gives us the last word. And the last word 
in the face of God's grace and of God's promise and of God's power is it's a, it's a word of surrender. It's a word of reception. Lord, let it be. I receive this. God, I claim this. I own this. You are gracious. I am favored. Your promise is true. You are faithful. You are powerful and there is nothing too hard from you. God, let it be to me. You know, this is a word of surrender. It's Mary saying, look, I look into an unknown future that's full of uncertainties that I cannot control, but I release the the reins of my life into your hands, oh God, let it be. It's a word like, like the words we speak, you know, uh, like, the, like the word a couple speaks on their wedding day when they look into each other's eyes and they release ultimate control of your life over into the hand of another. You say, I am no longer my own, but I, I belong to another. I am, my life, my future is wrapped up with another. And those words are spoken, I, I, you know, to have and to hold from this day forward for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish till death do us part. There's a sense in which Mary is, is like a young couple who has no idea what life is going to be like in marriage in 10 years or in 20 years or in 40 years. Their, their, their future is full of uncertainties and unknowns. But they say this, I don't know what the future holds, but I know this, I'm going to be with you. And Mary says, I look into the future and I don't know what it holds and it will hold heartache it will hold for Mary pain. Later in the temple, Mary hears the word that her own heart will be pierced like with a sword, probably referring to that moment when she'll see her son die on a cross. This is not an easy journey. It's not a painless journey. But Mary knows this. In spite of the uncertainties, I know this. I will be with my God and my God will be with me. And listen, I don't know what you are going through right now. I don't know what kind of unknowns or uncertainties that you are wrestling with that are producing that kind of anxieties and fears with, within you. I, I, I don't know any of that, but, but, I, but I know this. I know that in times of trouble, Mother Mary comes to me speaking words of wisdom. Let it be. Trust God. Surrender control to God. Release your fears and your anxieties to God, to this gracious, promise-keeping, powerful God, and you will be okay. It's going to be okay. No matter what happens, you will be okay if, if your life is secure in the love of God.